How long is the Republican Party going to continue to defer to unhinged, mendacious desperation led by the gang that couldn't sue straight? <laughs> as long as they can, I'm guessing. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From with Pacifica you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Santa Barbara on 98.7, San Diego's 93.7, and Ridgecrest in China Lake, California's 99.5 FM. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the internets for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and... All-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. There are now 65 days until Inauguration Day on January 20. We have 50 days until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to determine control of the U.S. Senate, which... Uh, Our own Ernie Canning wrote about today at bradblog.com. That election is January 5. 28 days until the Electoral College casts its vote to finalize election 2020 on December 14. And 21 days until the statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving any electoral disputes for the Electoral College. That is on December 8. Welcome to the broadcast. As I noted over the weekend uh, on the Twitters, uh, after so many years of being called a uh, libtard, sore loser, leftist, conspiracy theorist by right wingers, it sure is fun to see them finding Bradblog.com all of a sudden this week and linking to so many of our years old stories on concerns about the U.S. voting system and the ease with which it can be manipulated through electronic voting and tabulation systems, and about the dangers of turning so much of our public election system over to for-profit private vendors. Suddenly, for some reason... They are very concerned about it, and I'm getting a whole lot of traffic at Bradblog.com. I am glad that at least some of them now seem to 
at least share the concerns a little bit that we have been reporting on at bradblog.com now and on the Bradcast for, oh, I don't know, going on two decades, even if these right-wingers now are selectively sort of cherry-picking from those concerns, I'm happy in any event that they appear now uh, to be concerned now that they feel that they have uh, lost a big election that was somehow stolen from them. But hey, if they are citing stories of mine from 10 and 15 years ago as proof that the election was stolen today, and by the way, it is not proof of that, of course, uh, that's okay. After dismissing those concerns for so many years as conspiracies, everyone from Sean Hannity to I remember going back and forth with Andrew Breitbart before he croaked, uh, you know, after dismissing those theories previously as, you know, conspiracies and sore losers, they're not theories, they were it, it's reporting. Uh, but they called them conspiracies. They called me a sore loser. But now they are embracing all of my work for for, you know, going back 10 and 15 years. Well, I'll just say for now, hey, guys, welcome aboard. Also, wait until you hear what George W. Bush did in Iraq. Man, are you going to be pissed? Anyway, there have been a lot of claims made lately by Team Trump and the folks on the right about uh, fraud concerns. Suddenly, Uh, most of those concerns have quickly fallen apart upon closer inspection. But as I have been hearing from quite a few folks via email and on Twitter and Facebook asking me about these concerns, uh, this claim or that claim, I'm happy to try to get to some of your questions along those lines, if you have any, a little bit later in the show. If you want to line up now, we'll try to open up the phone lines to such questions or concerns or thoughts at 818-985-5735 if you want to line up now. For the moment, however, by all non-fanciful accounts, President Donald Trump lost his re-election bid at the ballot box, but he and his supporters have suggested repeatedly that they will somehow win it back in court. In five key states, Trump and his allies have been filing lawsuits that, according to Trump, would would reveal widespread electoral fraud, would undo President-elect Joe Biden's victory and give Trump another four years in the White House. Biden did not win. He lost by a lot, Trump tweeted on Thursday. On Sunday night, in all caps, so you know he really means it, he declared on Twitter, I won the election, along with one tweet after another that Twitter has had to flag as false information. Yes, he he even cites information that has been originally reported by, yes, the Brad blog as part of his conspiracy theory that a voting machine company by the name of Dominion stole the election for Joe Biden somehow, a charge for which there is, you know, no actual evidence to date. But we'll talk about some of that a bit later, perhaps. As to Trump's plan to overturn the election by challenges in court, well, the Washington Post reported over the weekend it is not going well. Rather than revealing widespread or even isolated fraud, the effort by Trump's legal team has so far done the opposite. According to the Post, It's affirmed the integrity of the election that Trump lost. Nearly every GOP challenge to date has been tossed out. Not a single one, not a single vote has been overturned. 
Robert Kellner, a Republican lawyer who chairs the election and political law practice group at Covington and Burling, an international law firm in D.C., told the paper, quote, the Trump legal team does not seem to have identified any kind of global little, uh, litigation strategy that has any prospect of changing the outcome of the election. And all of the court filings to date underscore that, he says, as do all of the court rulings that have been issued to date. In addition to Trump's court losses, uh, by the by the time the Post published on Saturday, um, Trump's plaintiffs in four different cases in four different states on Monday, Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania and Michigan, all withdrew their lawsuits challenging the results, leaving Team Trump so far, according to the Democrats lead election attorney, uh, as um, having lost 24 of 25 cases to date. But in case there was any doubt, Donald Trump on Sunday doubled down and he tripled down, in fact, on his refusal to concede the election to President-elect Biden. As Trump continued to falsely accuse Democrats of fraud, an influential Michigan Republican said on Sunday that the certification of the state's election results should not be delayed in a move likely to further ramp up pressure on the president. That, even as Trump's campaign on Sunday scrapped a major part of its federal lawsuit challenging more than 600,000 votes cast in the election in the state of Pennsylvania. Trump said of uh, Biden in a Sunday morning tweet, providing no evidence to back up his claim, that uh, Joe Biden only won in the eyes of the fake news media. He said, I concede nothing. We have a long way to go. This was a rigged election. The president's declaration comes as he and his administration continue to impede the transition to uh, Vice President, uh, uh, President-elect Joe Biden's administration. That has succeeded, uh, that, that stalling of the transition has succeeded in even bringing condemnation from top, if former, Donald Trump administration officials, like his former chief of staff, John Kelly. Kelly issued an on-the-record statement Friday night lambasting Donald Trump for not helping with the transition to a Biden administration. Kelly wrote in a rare public rebuke of his former boss, quote, the delay in transitioning is an increasing national security and health crisis. He says it costs the current administration nothing to start briefing Mr. Biden, Ms. Harris, the new chief of staff and all identified cabinet members and senior staff. This coming from the retired four-star U.S. Marine general and former secretary of, uh, of the Department of Homeland Security, He added that the downside to not doing so could be catastrophic to our people, regardless of who they voted for. He wrote, the current administration does not have to concede, but it should do the right thing just in case the constitutional system declares that they lost. It is not about the GOP or the Democratic Party, he wrote. It is not about the president or about Mr. Biden. It is about America and what is best for our people, he said. Mr. Trump should order the transition process to begin immediately. It is the right and moral thing to do, said John Kelly. Well, if Kelly is waiting for Donald Trump to do the right or moral thing, 
Uh, uh, Desi, A, he should uh, probably know better by now, and uh, B, he may be waiting for a very long time at oh, this rate, it seems to me. Of course he is. I, I have a feeling that Trump is never going to do the official normal person thing of conceding <laughs> at think? all, ever. Yeah, yeah it's no. just going to have to move forward without him, and it is going to, one way or the other, regardless of what temper tantrum he throws. Well, we will see. I have a guest who may have some thoughts about that. In, in late summer on this program, we were joined by Nils Gilman. He's the vice president of programs at the Bergruen Institute. He's the co-founder of the Transition Integrity Project. That is a group of dozens of bipartisan top experts in government, defense, media, and other specialties, uh, which which convened in uh, uh, over the summer to a sort of war game potential problems that could occur between November and January during a transition between the Donald Trump administration and a Joe Biden administration if Joe Biden won on November 3rd, as it certainly appears that he has now done. Each scenario that the group examined, short of a Joe Biden landscape, according to Rosa Brooks, the group... I'm sorry, what did I say? You said landscape. I oh, think you meant landslide. Oh, a Joe Biden landslide. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was thinking of the Four Seasons uh, Total Landscaping Company, perhaps. So, yes, a Joe Biden landslide. Anything short of that, uh, said Rosa Brooks, the group's co-founder, uh, who's a, a, jo- a Georgetown law professor. She's a former de- Defense Department official herself. Anything short of that uh, would result in, quote, both street level and political impasse. She told the Boston Globe at the time that the law is essentially almost helpless against a president who is willing to ignore it. Well, on this program, Nils Gilman echoed those concerns. And so, uh, given Donald Trump's apparent inability to concede, despite apparently losing by at least five million votes in the popular vote and by the same apparent Electoral College margin that he won by in 2016, Along with the administration's unwillingness to date to work with the incoming Biden administration, even amidst a quickly worsening, deadly pandemic. With all of that going on, I thought it might be a good time to check in again with Mr. Uh, Gilman to see how this scenario, the one that we are indeed now in, how it stacks up against what the uh, Transition Integrity Project experts gamed out earlier this year when he told me back then, quote, all signs appeared to be flashing red regarding what could happen following Election Day. Nils Gilman, greatly appreciate you joining us once again on the broadcast today, sir. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Uh, So I guess the first question is, uh, how does what we are now looking at stack up against the various scenarios that you looked at uh, in your tabletop exercises, though it appears to be a decisive win for Biden. Uh, It is not one that I would call a landslide necessarily, though Donald Trump, when he won 306 Electoral College votes, he called that a landslide. Uh, So where does this current scenario stack up and how you and the project's team had uh, gamed things out previously, and, and, and perhaps more importantly, if you did predict the current scenario we're now in, uh, did you also predict that it would end well, pretty please? <laughs> well, uh, so we looked at four different scenarios. One was Trump winning, one was Biden winning in a landslide, one was Biden winning in a close election, and one was a truly muddled result. And I think we actually ended up, the world we, end, we ended up in, 
was somewhere between the Biden landslide and the Biden clear but close victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're sort of, you see the moves that Trump is trying to do that we anticipated when we ran these exercises last summer. They're very similar to the ones that we saw. He's trying to, you know, convince people that there was cheating going on in the election, uh, that there was electoral fraud. Uh, he's trying to get uh, state legislatures to potentially consider throwing out uh, the results of the popular vote, mm-hmm. uh, and instead uh, putting in a place a slate of Republican electors, even though the people voted for Democratic electors. I don't think any of that's going to end up working. Um, one of the things we talked about that was really important is, does right-wing media buy into this? Mm-hmm. And if you look at right-wing media right now, the way they're covering it, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the fever swamps yep. right now. And there's a huge conspiracy, and that's gonna, I think that's going to be the long-term impact. We can get to that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you look at sort of mainstream right-wing media, and I'm thinking here of the Murdoch properties like Fox News, not the evening lineup, but the actual news, the Wall Street Journal, even the New York Post, none of those guys are buying into the story that, that Trump actually won this election. They're sort of indulging him a little bit with, with his temper tantrums, but they're not really buying it. So I think that that's one of the reasons why this is really not going to take. In fact, Biden won by enough that it's outside the margin of effective contestation. Yeah. Um, so I think the thing you've got to ask then is, why is Trump doing this? Um, and I think the answer to that comes down to, you know, he's got big debts from the campaign, mm-hmm. and he's raising a lot of money on this. Um, you know, he's got all these, I get emails from his campaign three or four times a day saying, give us money, give us money, give us money, supposedly to fight these uh, electoral fraud cases, but in fact going to pay off his campaign debts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, there are these two Senate races that are going to a runoff in Georgia, so they want to keep the base activated. And the narrative that the, uh, that the libtards have stolen the election, <laughs> uh, that, they've, that they've engaged in a fraud, is a good way to sort of keep people uh, agitated and want to get them out to the polls. You, you know, you mentioned that uh, a lot of this had to do with right-wing uh, media buy-in and that the, the Fox News and so forth is not, at least not fully buying into it. Um, it. That may be one of the reasons why Donald Trump has been out there tweeting uh, oh, hey, everybody, please watch Newsmax. Oh, please watch uh, One America Now or whatever that uh, uh, station is called. Do you have concerns that, uh, A, he's pushing people over, as you say, into the right-wing fever swamps, Those these two new channels that nobody used to watch? Apparently their ratings are skyrocketing. Do you have any concerns that Fox News takes a look at that and says, hey, we're losing our people Maybe it is time we go back into the uh, right-wing fever swamps on uh, Donald Trump's behalf here. I mean, they definitely could do that. I don't think they're really going to change their mind. I think Rupert Murdoch um, is looking forward to going back to what is you know, Fox's natural and preferred condition, which is to be in the opposition and screaming at the liberals who are in power in government. I think he's sick and tired of Trump as much as anybody else is. He was never, he was always an opportunistic person mm-hmm. uh, with respect to Trump, so I don't think he's going to go back. Um, and by the way, he's not totally restraining the evening lineup, Hannity and yeah. and those guys are all still continuing to sort of support the crazy narrative that Trump is pushing out there. So I think he's sort of playing both sides, uh, Rupert, Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch are. Yep. Um, but I think at this point, they're not going to be able to get away with actually stealing the election, even under the claims that the left is actually trying to steal the election from them. I think the ship has more or less sailed on that. The thing that I'm worried about is that there's a large percentage of his voters. You know, Trump got 71 million votes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And if you believe the, you know, the polls, something like, you know, 70% of those people do claim to believe that the election was stolen. So you're talking about some 50 million Americans who fundamentally have now had the political system in our country fundamentally um, delegitimated. And that's going to be with us even if Trump 
you know, rides off into the sunset on January 21st. Well, that was one of the points that you had made uh, when we, we spoke a few months ago, that you had cautioned that the, the two biggest dangers uh, would be that a, a, a false fraud narrative could take hold or and or, I guess, that violence in the streets could escalate. Well, we saw a bit of violence over the weekend with uh, competing demonstrations in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. Um, But it sounds like you feel that the fraud narrative is is not taking hold or at least not as much as you feared it might over the summer. I'm trying to get a sense of, you know, I saw your uh, your co-founder, Rosa Brooks, I think it was on Bill Maher a week or two ago. She said she was feeling a little bit more relieved than she was in the runoff to the uh, to the election run up to the election. Uh, Where are you now in general in that regard? Should should anybody be? at least breathing any easier just yet, as you see it, Nils? Well, I mean, look, uh, I think that we're in pretty decent shape um, in terms of actually getting the results of the election to be, you know, realized by the political system. You know, right after the election, um, when, you know, the the election wasn't called for four days after four or five days. It wasn't Mm -hmm. until Saturday, right? So, it, those four days were kind of stressful, right? And Trump was, you know, ginning up the narrative that the election was being stolen. Things looked like, you know, the process was going to go well. The thing that I was really concerned with, that we were concerned with when we ran the games last summer, was that the actual count would be disrupted. But, mm. but Trump, in fact, didn't do that. And that's why he's not going to be able to succeed in, in stealing this election. If he had managed to stop votes from being counted, for example, in Pennsylvania and in Georgia and Michigan and other mm-hmm. states, then it might be possible for him to prevent them from ever getting counted. But now that they have been counted, I think it's going to be really, really hard to get judges to get them to be uncounted. And so that's why I'm feeling pretty good that you know, Joe Biden will be the president on, uh, on the afternoon of January 20th. Did, on the other hand, yeah. I am concerned that this narrative of fraud is going to survive even Biden taking office. And there's going to be lots of people, including, you know, members of the Republican Party in Washington who will be out there claiming that it was a stolen election, falsely claiming that it was a stolen election. And that'll just continue to it's like poison in the veins of the body politic. Mm. It, and it is. And it does, to, to some extent, appear to be working. Uh, Nevada Public Radio reported on, over the weekend on demonstrations that took place on Saturday. Uh, one demonstrator uh, who, who uh, said he said he would not accept any outcome other than a Trump win, but he also expressed optimism about the Trump campaign strategy of filing lawsuits. Uh, to try, anyway, to obstruct ballot counting in the battleground states. He said, we feel pretty good about the way things are going with the courts and the recounts. I'm not sure how he could feel pretty good about that. Uh, If you actually look at how Donald Trump's team is doing in court, they're losing case after case. But he told uh, Cap Radio in Nevada that um, if that effort fails, he is ready to engage in violence on behalf of Trump and the far-right ideology that he follows. He said, if the left wants a war, we'll give it to them. He said before going on to threaten the National Guard, uh, if they intercede, warn them to stand down, threatening, we're imploring you to stand down. When we come through, don't square up with us. Now, I think, Nils, I sort of share your feeling. I'm not overly worried about this. I know that a lot of people are. But when you hear something like this from a guy like this who is proudly giving his name, uh, Larry Witzig is his name, um, I don't know. Is that reason for concern or are we talking about, a, you know, a few, uh, you know, outliers, people who we shouldn't be paying attention to at this point? Well, 
I don't think it's very likely. You know, one of the things going to happen is at some point it'll become obvious that Trump's gambits have have failed, right? And we'll we'll know when the elections get uh, get certified in, um, you know, in in, in Pennsylvania and Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan, and so on. Once those certifications happen, it'll at that point become obvious that the last shreds of hope that these guys are maintaining because they're inside a, a you know a message bubble that doesn't permit them to hear about what's actually happening in reality. But at some point. That, that, that bubble is going to collapse for them. And then the question is, do they just, you know, become disillusioned and quiet, or do they actually take up arms? I don't think there's going to be a mass uprising. They're just not well enough organized or, frankly, energetic enough to do it. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I do worry about is that there could be, you know, a few lone individuals and sort of individual spasms of violence, yeah. right? You know, think about what Timothy McVeigh did in Oklahoma City. Right. Uh, in, in 1995, right? I yep. mean, that just was two guys planning that, right? And they killed, you know, they killed 100, over 100 people and, and maimed many more than that. And, you know, if you just imagine a few people like that, and you could have a pretty unpleasant situation in this country, um, you know, for and it could go on for years. Well, there is a step uh, that you mentioned uh, once these elections are certified. That's uh, one level of this, where the elections are certified by the Secretary of State and so forth. But, you know, in our conversation back in August, Nils, you cited uh, as an historian yourself, uh, the uh, contentious sort of worst case scenario and and full blown constitutional crisis that almost derailed the nation back in 1876 during this disputed election between uh, Republican Rutherford B. Hayes and uh, Democrat Sam Tilden that was settled, I believe, like the day before Election Day, where states had convened separate electoral college slates. You urged at the time over the summer when we last spoke that political leaders and state governments should establish in advance and on a bipartisan basis standards to be used to adjudicate competing claims for how to allocate the state's electoral votes. And Trump and others have been talking about, you know, states like uh, Republican legislature uh, legislatures in Pennsylvania, Uh, just deciding they're going to override the will of the people and elect their own slate of electors for Donald Trump. Did any of those legislatures take you up on that warning uh, earlier this year, Nils? And do you see any danger of that in these uh, Republican-run states? Yeah, so no states passed additional legislation, but a number of states pointed out that they do, in fact, have legislation already on the books. Um, so Pennsylvania, for example, its legislation says that the state shall allocate its electoral votes on the basis of the popular vote based on a statute that was passed in, I believe, 1937. So they already have rules on the books. They didn't need to pass, they didn't feel like they needed to pass new rules. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the Republican-controlled legislature wouldn't have wanted to pass new rules. But they also, you know, they would have to pass a law and get it signed by the governor um, overturning that rule if they wanted to do that in this case, right? Now, they could, in theory, do that. I think you would end up with, uh, with litigation. It might end up in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, this is, I think, Trump's fantasy, is that at that point he goes to the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett, who he just appointed, will give him the swing decisive vote, and then somehow it will all work out. Right. And if it was just down to one state, mm-hmm. if it was just down to Pennsylvania, uh, if Georgia hadn't come in, too, if Nevada hadn't come in, if Wisconsin, if, you know, if we were down to one slate of electors, right, um, then, you would, then I would be a lot more concerned about this right now. But he actually has to get three different state legislatures to do this. Right. In order to do that, he's got to get the Republican governors and the entire Republican delegation, or almost the entire Republican delegation, to go along with overriding the will of their own voters. I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty tough lift. 
Um, as I say, that's why you know we're not quite in Biden landslide territory, but we're not really in a close election either. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is not as close as the election of 2016. It's not as close as the election of 2000. It's not as close as the election of 1976 or 1968 or 1960. So mm-hmm. you know, just you know, those are just elections we've had in, in you know in living memory. And so this is, you know, it's actually a pretty, it's not a landslide, it's not Reagan in 84, but it's a pretty big win, right? Um, and that's why I don't think Trump's going to be able to actually pull off what he was probably scheming to do. You also urged uh, when we last spoke uh, at the time uh, that uh, governors and secretaries of states and AGs and so forth need to develop plans for transparency in the vote counting process to assure not only that the vote count is accurate, but just as important. And, and this is a point that I have been making for years, that the public needs to have confidence in the count. Whether it's accurate or not, if the public cannot know that it is accurate, uh, it may may as well not be accurate. And, uh, you know, that is a concern, and that's one of the reasons why I've been trying to say the entire process needs to be more transparent, less secretive, uh, and so forth. Did any of that come to pass before the election? Did you see any effort to sort of uh, be more transparent about that? And if not, uh, do you see any of it uh, happening now? They're doing a recount slash audit slash recanvas in Georgia right now. I think that's a good thing, frankly, but they're being secretive about uh, that counting process. Uh, so it's difficult for the public to uh, to follow along. Do you see any dangers there or any improvements there this year? Well, a couple of things. I mean, I think that a huge amount of effort was put into ensuring that the election on Election Day, well, first of all, that the early voting would be as smooth as possible, mm-hmm. and then second of all, that the actual election process on, on Election Day would go off smoothly. And, and in fact, that's one of the things I was really pleasantly surprised by. I was really worried about a lot of things that could have gone wrong yeah. on November 3rd. Me right? too. There could yeah. have been, you know, hacking. There yeah. could have been, you know, blackouts. There could have been violence at polling stations. None of that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then afterwards, during the counting process, I agree with you. I think it's fine that we have recounts. We want people to have confidence in the process. Mm-hmm. If you count it once and you get the same number when you count it again, that gives people a lot more confidence. Currently, almost all states have, all states, I should say, have, and they vary, you know, the rules vary, you know, uh, by state, but they all have systems that allow, uh, designated officials from each party to be in the counting booths observing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not the same thing as the public, of course. And I think one thing we could do more of is perhaps have, you know, cameras that could live stream the counting of the votes in various ways, although it would be pretty boring, people just feeding, you know, paper ballots into machines and right. so on. But, you know, you could do that. In fact, if that increased, it wouldn't cost very much. And it would be, if, it, if, you thought, if we thought that that would really significantly increase public confidence in the process, I think that that would be a good thing. But and, and in fact, I should departures. say, I, I should say, Nils, it actually was done in several cases. I believe there was cameras where you could watch in uh, in Philadelphia at that big counting room in that's Detroit. Right, right. Uh, again, not that you can see all that much, and it is kind of boring. But you can see that it, there's not some uh, great democratic scheme going on inside. Of course, that's something that the Republican observers were also able to see, despite Trump going to court and saying the Republican observers weren't there, but they were. Anyway, I interrupted you there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the Republicans were there. Um, yep. And, you know, the ca- one of the cases that just got thrown out in Pennsylvania was, you know, a total hearsay case where one of the observers said, well, I was told by somebody else that he saw something untoward. Right. And that got thrown out because it's hearsay. Yep. So there hasn't been any, there hasn't been a single eyewitness of anybody seeing anything 
um, anything fraudulent. And, you know, while I have no doubt that, let's say, one in a million ballots was cast fraudulently in this country, there are 150 million ballots cast um, on, uh, uh, in this election. Mm-hmm. So if you have one in a million, that'd be 150 cases of fraud across the country. Now, that might seem like a lot, but obviously, you know, a one in a million incidents is not going to swing the results of the election in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So I think we should feel pretty confident that the count of the votes uh, are extremely accurate, like 99.999% accurate. Um, and, you know, if it had been a super-duper close election somewhere, like in Florida in 2000, mm-hmm. then I think the people would have a lot more concerns. But these are pretty decisive results. I mean, you're looking at you know, over 10,000 votes in all the different states. That's not – those are close elections, but they're not so close that, you know, a fraction of an error can really swing the vote the result in a different direction. Last question for you here, Nils. Um, and maybe this tees up our next conversation as we move forward. But uh, you also argued at the time uh, that we last spoke that uh, Joe Biden, uh, if he succeeded in taking office, uh, that one of the immediate questions that uh, he would have to confront uh, is whether the incoming Department of Justice would, in fact, pursue criminal charges for wrongdoing that they may find uh, in the previous administration or challenge pardons that Donald Trump is almost certainly going to give to himself or his family or others on the way out the door. Uh, as I say, this question may have to wait until our next conversation, but you, you urged that while it might seem on the right as mere political revenge, further poisoning the political atmosphere, that letting these guys walk away scot-free risks further entrenching a culture of political impunity. I agree. Do you see any signs? Because this drove me crazy when Barack Obama came in. Do you see any encouraging signs on that front so far from the the Biden transition that his administration intends to actually take action on accountability rather than the, you know, the don't look back, look forward position that we saw from the Obama administration uh, when they took uh, over after George W. Bush. By the way, I've argued that had they not done that, we might not have had a Donald Trump at this point, had there been some accountability uh, the last time Democrats took over from Republicans. Well, I definitely agree with you that the lack of accountability is part of what stoked, uh, you know, regarding the financial crisis and the Mm -hmm. housing market and so on, is definitely something that stoked the populist fervors that led to Donald Trump. Uh, There hasn't been any indication whatsoever um, from Biden on this topic. I mean, the one thing he said about it is that he's going to let whoever is the attorney general make that decision. So he's trying to reestablish the norm that the attorney general has is independent of the president, is not the attorney of the president, and has decision rights over which kinds of cases to pursue. Um, But just knowing who Joe Biden is, I don't see him as the kind of guy who's going to want to spend a lot of time looking backward. Um, That could change, though, right? I mean, if if the Republicans are completely obstructing anything he's able to do, Mm -hmm. which I think is also going to be a very likely circumstance, I mean, especially if, if, uh, if they win at least one of those seats and uh, McConnell continues to be a majority leader in the Senate, he's not going to, you know, he may not even allow Biden to, you know, seat most of his cabinet officers. Yep. He's certainly not going to pass any legislation. He's certainly not going to, you know, uh, allow any, uh, you know, judges, just, uh, judges yep. to be appointed. Right. He's just going to slow everything down. And so under those circumstances, there won't be anything to do in the present, and he may start looking backward. Um, I also think that, you know, there's, in the case of Trump in particular, and the Trump organization, one of the things that's got to be hanging over his head in a scary way is things he can't pardon himself for, which is violations of state law 
back in Manhattan. Uh, mm-hmm. The Trump organization seems pretty clearly to have committed fraud. It either lied to the IRS about its uh, income or lied to creditors about its debts, um, or possibly, most likely, lied to both sides of the House. Um, and, you know, people go to jail for fraud. Yep. Um, I think it's likely, you know, Trump is probably going to file to run for re-election on January 21st, 2021. Mm-hmm. But I think it's as likely that he's going to be sitting in Rikers in, on January 21, 2025, as he is sitting in the White House on that date. From your uh, mouth to Joe Biden's attorney's general's ears, Nils, I think you're absolutely right on that. We will see. Uh, Nils, uh, I'm I'm. I'm really glad we're having this conversation today and we're not yet anyway seeing the violence in the streets that you guys were so concerned about. I hope it stays peaceful by and large between now and Inauguration Day. And I hope as this moves forward, you don't mind if we uh, check in every now and again with you to see to see how we're doing. Uh, Dr. Nils Gilman is an historian, vice president of programs at Bergruen Institute and the co-founder of the Transition Integrity Project. You can, of course, find out more information on that project and on Nils at Bergruen.org. And you can follow him on the Twitters at Nils underscore Gilman. Nils, really appreciate you joining us uh, uh, today. And thanks for all your good work. And stay safe, my friend. Thank you, Brad. All right. Uh, All right. Well, we need to take a quick break here. I know I'm running late already. Uh, We'll come back and talk about some of these still failing cases uh, that Team Trump is uh, seeing thrown out of court. Uh, or today, actually, voluntarily withdrawing in four separate cases, four states, four separate cases that they have now withdrawn. Uh, But I know some folks out there still believe the election was somehow stolen, or you have Facebook friends and relatives that do. If you do and you'd like to know how to respond to them, or if uh, you, in fact, uh, have these concerns, feel free to give me a call and let's talk about them. 818-985-5735 is my phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Do you have such concerns about the various incidents that you may have heard about out there? I've tried to look into as many of them as I could so far. Um, So I may be able to speak to some of those concerns, 818-985-KPFK. Or if you have concerns about what uh, Nils Gilman and I just discussed, I'd also love to hear from you as well. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Last from the past. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number if you'd like to talk about this bizarre sort of situation that we are now in following uh, the election when it's uh, pretty much clear as day at this point that, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Joe Biden has won the race, and yet Donald Trump is still holding out more than two weeks later. Uh, I've been getting a lot of mail at Brad uh, via Bradcast 
at bradblog.com, where you can write me, asking me about various election fraud concerns that people may have heard about in the presidential race or in others. Uh, I've also uh, received some fan mail like this one from someone calling themselves Power for the People that I received this morning. Uh, Quote, you sound like a libtard snowflake. Harden up and realize Trump won in a landslide and the attempt to steal this election is so blatantly obvious it is laughable. The Dems panicked and screwed the pooch. He or she writes, don't shed too many tears when Trump gets his second term. Well, thank you for that advice, power for the people. I will try to avoid uh, spreading too many libtard snowflake tears. Um, but, you know, uh, after, as I mentioned at the top of the show, after so many years of being called a sore loser, leftist, a conspiracy theorist, etc., by right-wingers, um, you know what? Welcome, guys. I'm glad you are also now concerned about your elections. You've got a lot to learn about how these elections work and don't. It's not just enough to declare that you believe uh, Dominion Voting Systems, which is the second largest private vendor uh, in the nation, that you believe they're somehow uh, tied to the Democratic Party. They are not. You can pretend that they are, but they are not. They have worked with Democrats. They have given money to Democrats. They have also given money to Republicans, and they have worked with Republicans. As a matter of fact, anyone who's listened to Bradcast for any period of time knows about the, at this point, years that I have spent warning about the, yes, Dominion voting system that was chosen for the state of Georgia uh, that is 100 percent unverifiable if you ha- if you're forced to vote at the polls on those touchscreens. Uh, those are made by, yes, Dominion. But I'm old enough to remember when in his last dying days, Andrew Breitbart uh, delighted, just delighted in dismissing my reporting on electronic voting systems, my warnings uh, he said, oh, it's just a kooky conspiracy stuff. stuff. Don't listen to, to the Brad blog. I wonder if Breitbart News uh, even knows that Dominion voting actually took over much of the now defunct Diebold election systems. One of the last tweets that Andrew Breitbart sent me before he dropped dead uh, just said the Brad blog, Diebold, 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 Boo, he said. Um, yeah, I guess somebody ought to tell Breitbart News at this point that their now dead founder used to make fun of people like news outlets, apparently like Breitbart, who are now pretending that there is some evidence of fraud by the Dominion Voting Systems Now uh, you say, you wonder if they had any idea that their founder used to make fun of the very things that they're yeah. reporting right now. But I think that you're very well aware that in right-wing media, it doesn't matter what happened before. They'll just pretend like it never happened. It never happened. You're absolutely right, Desi Doyne. Let me play one clip and then I'll go to the phones here uh, because it's hilarious to see the con man, Sean Hannity, another one who had dismissed concerns for so many years about electronic voting systems. Uh, He's suddenly concerned about it. 
uh, after he, you know, like dead Breitbart, uh, spent years mocking my reporting. The very same reporting, by the way, that he is now lifting from in his own broadcasts, his bastardized versions uh, of my reporting. He had a long segment on this. I don't have time for it, and you don't want to hear Sean Hannity for six minutes. But here's a short clip just to give you an idea about what Sean Hannity on Fox News is now saying about electronic voting system concerns. Back in June, during Georgia's primary, there were a lot of serious issues surrounding the state's Dominion voting machines. According to the New York Times, quote, in some cases, the new machines required too much extra power for aging polling locations, blowing fuses and never powering on. In others, workers who were still being trained just days before the election, they struggled with the setup. The electronic poll books, also new, were plagued by freezing software and user error. In 2018, let's go to the liberal AP reporting (laughs) that Dominion, quote, long skimped on security in favor of convenience, making it more difficult to detect (laughs) intrusions. The Dominion image cast evolution looks like a pretty good voting machine, but it has a serious design flaw. After you mark your ballot, And after you review your ballot, the voting machine can print more votes on it. What? Fraudulent software can exploit that ability. If we want to have as a country election results with integrity that the people of this country will have confidence in, we can easily and absolutely have a system forensically checked. Don't we owe it to every American to know which is the best the most reliable yes. and accurate system so we can have confidence in the voting in this country. Yes, yes, we do, Sean Hannity. Yes, we do deserve to have that. Uh, and we might have had it had not you spent the last 15 or 20 goddamn years ignoring the very reports that you are now reporting on uh, on Fox News. That report about uh, after you vote on the ballot that the, uh, uh, the system can print other votes on your ballot— we broke that story here first, of course, at uh, uh, on the broadcast and at bradblog.com. You didn't bother. You didn't care. You didn't cover it at all. By the way, most of the concerns that you heard Hannity mention there are not actually Dominion-related. They're related to uh, the electronic poll, uh, poll book systems and so forth uh, that were used in Georgia. But in Georgia, it was a Republican Secretary of State who insisted on these Dominion voting systems. Yeah, and it's all stuff. Yeah. that you've said for years now. Yeah. Specifically, <laughs> specifically. Very specifically. He's pulling from... He had guests of ours on the show uh, on his Fox uh, broadcast the other day. He was playing clips from uh, from Andrew Appel and these other people who have been hacking these voting systems for years. And if you had listened Let, to the broadcast, you yeah. already know all this. Let me take one quick phone call before I go to a break and we'll get to more. Uh, Stella in Long Beach. Hey, Stella, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, this is Stella. How are you doing? I'm okay. How can I help you, Stella? Yes, I recently I've been looking at YouTube, mm-hmm. and they were saying that some outside entities like Argen, uh, Argentina, I think it was Venezuela, and a few others had Venezuela. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, they had interfered in the voting, and that Trump actually won millions of votes where they said he didn't. And yeah. Different things. I matter of fact, I was just looking at something a moment ago, and I'm just wondering: is there any rumor to that? He said that he actually won yeah. those states. No, he, and that because of these entities interfered. Yeah, no, there is absolutely 
no evidence of that whatsoever. But I will tell you where the Venezuela uh, concern comes in because I have been getting a ton of traffic to bradblog.com about my reporting some years ago that, in fact, a company named Sequoia Voting Systems was tied in with a company named Smartmatic. They were uh, partners. Smartmatic was a Venezuelan company uh, that was uh, tied to Hugo Chavez and so forth. And there was concerns at the time about Sequoia because of their ties to Venezuela and, uh, and Smartmatic and Venezuela and so forth. Well, because of those concerns, Smartmatic uh, was eventually sold off, and it was, in fact, bought by the company named Dominion Voting Systems that you hear all the right-wingers are now concerned about. When that sale happened, Dominion announced that they had purchased all of the uh, properties of Sequoia and, and uh, that they were now completely independent from them. They, o they owned everything. And I had to point out that, no, in fact, the uh, intellectual property of the voting systems made by Sequoia was actually owned by the Venezuelan tied firm Smartmatic. And that's, if you're hearing Venezuela these days in these concerns, that comes directly from bradblog.com because Dominion lied about the fact that, no, in fact, they did not purchase the intellectual property for these voting systems that are still used across the entire sta uh, the, the uh, United States. It doesn't give the uh, Venezuela or anybody else necessarily the ability to steal an election, but that's the tie to Venezuela that you're hearing about, you can blame yours truly for that one, Stella. Does that make some sense? Okay. Yes. They also said that uh, in Oklahoma there were like 350,000 dead voters. There were people that were dead. They were getting their votes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there weren't. I haven't heard the reference to Oklahoma. Uh, I heard it in Nevada. There were, they, had, they came up with a list of some 3,000 supposedly dead voters. Uh, most Actually, was it Nevada? Well, there was one list of, of voters that did not live in Nevada, therefore weren't allowed to vote in Nevada. But in fact, they were military members who did live in Nevada, but they were temporarily stationed uh, in other places across the U.S. And they are absolutely allowed to, vo uh, to vote absentee in Nevada. The lists of dead voters that we have seen, turns out they're not dead at all or they did not actually vote. Uh, or they were voters who were, like I said, they were not dead. Or they, uh, one case we reported on last week, um, a guy had the same exact name as his father did. His father was senior and has passed away. He was junior, uh, and apparently they had him sign on the father's line instead of on the junior's line. There was another case um, where they pointed to a man who had died some years ago. Turns out it was his wife who voted using not his name, but Mrs. John Smith or whatever his name was, because in some states you can still uh, uh, register to vote under your husband's name, adding the Mrs. to it before it. And she was like 97 years old and she said, no, my husband didn't vote. He's dead. I voted. Go away. So that's the kind of crap we've been uh, hearing. Got it, Stella? <laughs> okay, yeah, I sit on YouTube. I'm like, what? You know, yeah. they're going to make sure they're going to prove that, he, that uh, Biden didn't win. It, okay. it is all stuff and nonsense so far, but I'm happy to look at uh, any such reports. Thanks for the call, Stella. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm running late. Let me get to a break here, a quick break. We'll come back with uh, more of your calls right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening 
to the world-famous Bradcast. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. It's your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. On Sunday, the Trump campaign announced uh, that they, well, they didn't announce it. They just withdrew the central request from their lawsuit in Pennsylvania. They uh, dropped the request in the lawsuit that hundreds of thousands of mail-in and absentee ballots, uh, specifically 608. 682,479 absentee ballots uh, be dropped. They they had uh, they wanted to throw out those ballots, uh, claiming that they were somehow counted improperly. And apparently they have somewhat come to their senses to revise the lawsuit and remove that claim. They're still trying to. Uh, urge uh, the court to toss out hundreds of thousands of ballots claiming they weren't properly processed. This in a state where Biden appears to have won by almost uh, 70,000 votes. I also mentioned at the top of the show four different lawsuits filed by voters uh, urged by a, a Trump campaign law firm in four different states in Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania and Michigan as of Monday. Those four cases were all dropped as well. They were claiming uh, there was voter fraud, but the lawsuits uh, finally had to admit that they didn't actually have evidence. They said it would be shortly forthcoming. It turns out it is not forthcoming at all. And uh, the uh, law firm, uh, James Bopp Jr., uh, he's a conservative, so-called conservative attorney in Michigan and Pennsylvania. He had been behind all four of those lawsuits, which have now been uh, since dropped. Let's go to uh, some of your calls. Kelwin, is, am I saying that right? Kelwin in L.A.? Hey, how you doing, Brad? I'm hanging in there. How are you, sir? I'm more than hanging in. I'm good and getting gooder. Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, how can I help you? Well, I was just calling because, you know, when you were talking about is Biden going to look backwards and charge mm-hmm. the people in the Trump administration, I just wanted to say charging the people in the Trump administration is looking forward. Because like you said, if they'd have done that in the past, yep. we might have stopped this. Because people have to look close at what created the mess we're in now. Thank you. And it's not just the Republicans. Trump is a bed sore on a sick, cancer-ridden political body of the United States. And getting rid of Trump is going to be like, in a bed sore on a dying body. Yeah. So, no. You know, yeah. I like to say charging and going after these people, that is looking forward. I hear you. Stopping the pattern. Yes. Well said, Kelwin. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's how we stop the problems going forward. He's absolutely right. It's a point that I tried to make eight, well, now 12 years ago. Uh, with Barack Obama, but did he listen to me either? No, apparently not. Let me go to uh, oh, Bill in Lake Elsinore. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Very well, Brad. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm confused on, well, I'm confused on what is a tar bale. A, 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 Thank you, Brad. 
A, a tar bale? Yeah, yeah one commentator on the, um, not Breitbart, the second commentator, um, made a remark of tar bales and, and it was... Uh, I but think it's confused me. I think I missed it. We're gonna have to maybe maybe uh, Tarbell, Tarbell. I don't know. We'll have to get our crack uh, Brad blog uh, research team on that one to figure out what the hell that was. I I missed that, Bill. Sorry, I can't help you on that one. Uh, let's go to. Uh, do we have? Oh, there's. Uh, do we have time? Yes, Roger in Minneapolis. Welcome back. Here we go. Welcome back to the broadcast, Roger. What is your concern today, my friend? I'll be very compressed. Thank you. Um, I I still think that we probably saw the Senate get, get stolen um, um, by the uh, um, uh, hijinks with the mail. Did the 127,000 votes in Miami-Dade ever get out of those holding bins mm-hmm. uh, and into be counted? Um, a, a comprehensive survey of what happened around the mails needs to happen. Yep. And we mustn't, even though we occasionally win... We, we mustn't lose sight of all the voter suppression yep. and all of the electronic manipulation that probably still happened. We, we, we have to keep it in mind. Thank you. I, you know what? I won't say that it probably happened. I've never said it probably happened. What I've tried to point out is that it can happen and that it can happen very easily. And if you are actually concerned, Sean Hannity and dead Andrew Breitbart, if you're actually concerned today... Uh, about counting the votes and knowing that they were counted accurately and that they weren't stolen from you by Dominion Voting System or the Venezuelans that secretly control them, if you actually have concerns about that, you have a great way to prove it because there are two elections coming up, U.S. Senate runoff elections in the state of Georgia on January 5th that will determine control of the U.S. Senate and thereby what Joe Biden is or is not able to do in the future. If you are really concerned about election integrity and public oversight of elections, you will call for hand-marked paper ballots across the entire state of Georgia. And yes, hand count them all publicly so we can all know who won or who lost. Uh, Thanks for that uh, call, Roger. Sorry I could not get to everyone today. Uh, We'll try again next week if we can. Until then, my thanks to uh, my guest today, Nils Gilman of the Transition Integrity Project. Uh, and to uh, Federico Garcia, my board operator, and to Desi Doyen, my producer, and, of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That's it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.